Hello there, everybody. How you doing? You having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. Um, today, I'm going to break away from the Snowflake 33 fame series thing I've been doing for the past few episodes, and I'm going to return back to an uh, earlier idea that I had. Um, uh, I'm going to give you the description of the Ad Astra Volume 1 CD. Um, I will continue the fame discussion but that'll be in the next episode. I figured uh, it's been a while since I've done an album description, so it's time to do another one, and today will be Ad Astra 1. Now, what's funny about it is, is I had finished the description for Ad Astra 1 probably about seven months ago, and I had it in the can, and I was just kind of waiting for the right time to release it. But what happened in the time between then and now is in the other Snowflake episodes that came in between, I explained away a lot of the things that I was talking about in that description, and it kind of became, like, obsolete. And I had to, you know, redo it. And as I discuss the uh, the album, you'll see what I mean, because a lot of this stuff was covered already. Um, and it's nice because it kind of can abbreviate the description a little bit because I can reference previous Snowflake episodes to get more details about what I'm talking about, which is nice. I didn't plan it that way. It just kind of worked out that way. And so remember, you know, I will continue with the fame discussion in the next episode. Yeah, and it should be done around this time next week. So here we go with the PC3 Ad Astra Volume 1 description. And like before... Um, I'm holding the CD in my hand, and um, the first thing I see, of course, is the sparkler boy, as we call him in my household, um, with the dog, the little boy holding a sparkler with the dog. And, uh, you know, Ad Astra Volume 1 was obviously the first release from PC3, and the reason I chose that artwork for the cover was because of the story I told you uh, back in uh, the Clouds episode when I was telling you that I worked in a print shop, okay? Well, this clip art came from that print shop. And that print shop, when I look back on it now, was probably the best job I've ever had. It was the be- definitely the best boss that I ever had. It was just a good situation. I worked with my best friend. My boss was really great. And it was a print shop. So, you know, I was a, a bit of a graphic artist already in, in high school and things like that. And it was really a great place for me to cut my teeth with that kind of stuff. And that's where I would make all the flyers for this band that I was in. Thumper Incorporated. And then the flyers actually became part of this band. Like, people would collect the flyers that I made. They were art. They weren't just advertisements. And uh, the reason I chose it for the cover of the first PC3 release is because it was the image I chose for the first Pipe Choir release that I ever did, which I can reference you back to, um, I think it's the first Fame episode or the second one, um, where I'm talking about how I was in the studio with my band and I wound up making a song and it went onto the radio and all that stuff. Well, I'm in this print shop and I need some kind of cover art. I need to make a cassette tape of the song to promote it because all of a sudden I need to do that. So I went through the clip art that we had in the print shop and I found this image of this little sparkler boy. And that was the image that I used for the very first sound recording that I did under the name Pipe Choir. The very first image was this Sparkler Boy clip art. And I liked it. I mean, it it works even now. You know, it was good then and it's good now. Kind of a cool idea. The the little Peter Pan collar and that weird kind of, like, I don't even know, creepy like silhouette art kind of thing of this little boy holding a sparkler while this dog is like bouncing around his heels trying to get the sparkler you know excited and it just worked and 
So, when it came time to make Ad Astra 1, which was going to be the debut CD from PC3, this new wing of pipe choir that I'd created, I thought it would be appropriate to go right ahead and grab that old image from the very first thing I did and apply it to the very first CD of PC3. And so that's what I did. And it was... uh, it was kind of like a no-brainer. Didn't have to think about it too much. And I guess I can say the title Ad Astra means to the stars. You know, it came from a textbook in a history class that I had in high school. And for some reason, I don't even know why or how, but I wound up with that book. It's in my book collection. And um, periodically I would grab it and look at it because the images in it are so cool and so weird. You know, especially for a history book, it's a, a very weird book. And uh, in the very end of the book, they're talking about the moon landing. And uh, the title of that chapter was Ad Astra. And I always thought that was cool because it's Latin and it means to the stars, which is kind of where I'm coming from or where I'm going. And it works. So there you go. That's what Ad Astra means. Volume 1 was because I knew there was so much material I had that uh, I would have enough for at least three different CDs. And um, PC3, Ad Astra Volume 1, was the first time that I ever released a CD. Ever. uh, Of my own material. So it was kind of a big deal for me. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm a bit of a Luddite. I like to hold a CD or I like to hold something in my hand and I like to look at artwork when I purchase music myself. So even though my music is available you know, on the internet for download and streaming and all those things, um, I'm still the kind of person who places value on a CD and holding something in your hand and you know, having a tangible thing. I'm a, I'm a tactile individual so uh, when the opportunity came for me to start making CDs uh, it was kind of a big deal for me I was excited about it because it was something that I'd always wanted to do I just didn't really have the means to do it and uh, you know when the time came to put this together it was really a lot of fun and it was like um, pretty exciting for me so it was my first time. And uh, so um, the format that I chose, you know, for this cover art, you know, I knew it would be the choice I was making for at least three CDs. You know, the format of having the name like it is and the artwork like it is and a shape and all that. I knew I was going to do that. So this kicked it off. And... Um, So when I open up the CD and I open up the booklet, there's a picture um, on the inside of the CD booklet. And it's a still shot of that fire footage that um, I was using for my videos on YouTube. You can still find those videos on YouTube um, of the fire footage that I shot. And I guess here's a bit of information I can share with you that I did not share with you before about that fire footage. Um, The fire footage that I used for my videos was not just some arbitrary footage that I made and, you know, uh, just slapped it up there and made videos out of it. Um, What that fire actually was, I took a bunch of stuff from my past that was symbolic of my past or that I just didn't want anymore. I didn't need it anymore. And I threw it all into a barrel in my backyard and I lit it all on fire and I burned it. And it was a pretty big fire in this barrel. And being the kind of person who never wastes anything, I figured, okay, while it's burning, I'll film it. And maybe somewhere down the line, I can use the footage. So I I filmed the fire of all this, of my past burning and... 
I put it into some software and I played around with it and I wound up getting something that I thought was really, really cool, which was this fire footage that's all crazy, like a kaleidoscope almost and like trippy. And it just looked so great that I started to use it as just like a default video for all of my music. Like just this inferno, you know, it just to me looked so cool and it went with all the music so well. So when I made this CD, I decided I'm going to take a still frame of that footage because it's a still frame of this funeral pyre from my past and that's what it is. When you watch that fire footage, you're watching my past burning. You're watching me cut it off and leave it behind. And I thought that was cool for this first CD. Like, I'm, I'm moving into the future. True story. That's a true story. So, of course, you have the first song, which is called Ad Astra. And... Ad Astra was very deliberately written to be the intro to an album. It just wasn't written to be the the intro to this album. It was written to be the intro to a pipe choir album, which is the music that I make that is a little more contemporary and a little more um, conventional in song length and duration. And they're very conventional arrangements. And, but I had scrapped the Pipe Choir album that I was working on that that song, Ad Astra, was written for. And I put it on this CD as the opener because I thought that the title was so cool. And I was calling the series, I was naming the series of CDs after that. It was going to be Ad Astra, back to that book I told you about. And uh, so now you can kind of sense this theme here, actually, of there's this uh, this thing going on with the, my past and, and leaving it behind and moving forward. Um, I you know, have the footage from my past showing you literally my past burning in a barrel. Uh, I have this title, Ad Astra, from my high school days, a high school textbook. I have the Sparkler Boy on the front that was from the original CD of Pipe Choir, or the original cassette tape of Pipe Choir, the very first artwork I used from that print shop that I used to work at. And uh, so there you go. There's a theme here, right? So then there's track number two. And track number two is a song called Try. I'm going to tell you about Try. Try is a very interesting song. One, because it has a three-letter title, which I love. And the reason that I called it Try was because it was my first try at breaking out of the conventional standard song length, the song duration. So I was, I was, I was consciously stepping out of the three to five minute song length and, and experimenting and and going past that and I had no reason to do that other than I just felt like being a scientist and just having some fun just to see if I could do it and one of the first things I remember is I where my studio was it had a window and the window went out into an alley and the acoustics in this alley were I guess pretty good because when you hear the thunder and lightning at the beginning of Try, it goes throughout the entire piece of music. Uh, I just stuck the microphone out the window and pressed play and record, and I let it go for 18 minutes and 34 seconds, you know? And I let the storm, I let the recording of that rainstorm and the thunder and lightning determine the length of the song. So I had the rain and the thunder and the lightning as the background. It was the background for this music. Then I went about, you know, laying tracks down. I put some drums down that felt good. You know, this like kind of like quiet groove beat with the brushes. Very, very reminiscent of The Verve, a band that I love very much. Very underrated band, in my opinion. Uh, Profound influence on me 
in so many ways, and especially the drummer, because he used brushes. And I like bands that use brushes. It's a very cool approach to that instrument. And that was a metal drummer, you know. And uh, I'm not a weakling. I mean, I can I can lay it down. And uh, ACDC drums, you know, crack and thud. That's what I call them. Crack and thud drums. John Bonham, you know. Like, rock out. Hit them as hard as you can, you know. Kill them. And when you take that kind of technique and you put brushes in my hand, it changes everything. So... I experimented a lot with brushes and I liked bands that used brushes like the Charlatans UK. I liked how their drummer was using brushes and I liked how the Verve used brushes on the drums. So that's what you got in the song called Try. First I laid down the rainstorm, then I laid down the drums, and then I just started to add tracks and I did a scat vocal uh, that made no sense. It doesn't actually, if you really try to listen to what I'm saying, it doesn't make any sense. I'm just making noises with my mouth. And I wound up keeping them in. I didn't go back and really change anything. I might have moved things around or arranged them a little bit, but I didn't re sing it and give it lyrics. I just pressed play and record and I started singing into the microphone to what I was hearing. I guess I kind of didn't take into consideration that people might actually uh, like it (laughs) and want to know what I'm singing about or what I'm saying. So I kind of took the uh, U2 uh, Unforgettable Fire approach on that one. I kind of just sang with my soul and I never went back and uh, fixed it. I just left it. And uh, it wound up, you know working out pretty good and I can honestly say too there's a group from the 60s or the 70s called Moods Orchestra and they made an album called Stormy Weekend and it became like uh, it was like contemporary orchestra music with storm sound effects behind the music which I imagine at that time was like really breaking out really breaking away from the mainstream and going off into some weird thing And it wound up becoming uh, an idea that this orchestra, this moods orchestra, repeated. They had, you know, stormy weekend, stormy evening. You know, each album was, you know, with these sound effects of rain. It was just music with the sound effects of rain. That's really all it was. But um, apparently it did well. And it was enough to influence the Verve. And that's how I heard about them. So I checked them out. And they, they were okay, you know? It was all right. I get it, you know? It wasn't something I necessarily liked, but I could appreciate it. It was all right. But, you know, this idea of me using the rainstorm and these brushed drums, these light-handed drums, that's the verve, okay? That's the verve. The technique is theirs, not mine. And I was more than happy to give it a try. But um, I can say this too about Try. Um, the guitar line for Try. Uh, I was really trying to sound like Muzak. <laughs> I was. I was trying to sound like Muzak. That's what I was going for. And I think I achieved it too. I do. When I listen to it, it sounds like that really, uh, you know, flaccid. Uh, guitar tone that you get when you're at like J.C. Penney you know shopping for you know shoes that's the music in the background you know and uh, so I was pretty happy that I did that it was fun to do it was fun to try to be cheesy and there was a humor in it that no one else would ever get but I got it so when I hear it I kind of laugh a little bit because that's my sense of humor um, let's see, what else would I say about try? Oh, like I started this pattern. I go from piano to guitar to vocals. So it starts with piano, then it goes into a guitar, and then it goes into a vocal, and then it goes back to the piano, and then it goes back to the guitar, the vocal, etc., etc. And I had it do that throughout the duration of the song. And then I decided that was a little bit too long. 
to repeat the same thing over and over again. But then the song was 18 minutes and I don't remember exactly, but there's a section where the music all of a sudden changes and everything changes. And what, what I did was I literally went into that session from like, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was probably 10 minutes to 14 minutes and I erased everything that was there and I built this whole section in the middle of all you know in the middle of this song and I married it as closely as I could to the rest of the song and made this whole separate section so the song changed and then it went back to what it was doing and that was the first time I ever did that it took a lot of guts for me to, to wipe that whole section out and have it be silence. Like once I hit the button, it's gone. I, got, I have to commit and I have to do this and then go back and rebuild, you know, a whole new section. I thought that was pretty cool and it was a good exercise for me because it's something that I've done since then and I've gotten pretty good at it. It was important to learn it. Okay, um... And it was important to learn also to not be afraid to do that kind of stuff. Not be afraid to experiment. You know, even if you're happy with what you got, don't be so precious about it. Sometimes it's good to, to mess it up a little and, and make it harder to do. Just saying. Um, so that was Try. I released that song online. And let me tell you something. It went crazy for me online, and I couldn't really figure out why. It still does. It still does extremely well, that song. Uh, People use it in all kinds of videos and commercials and things like, you know, all kinds of stuff, movies. And uh, it just did really well. And that was kind of the green light for me. I mean, that was all I needed to see was, you know, I had released all this other music and it did okay. And then I released this one really long song. And for some reason, it just blew everything else I did out of the water, number-wise. So that was all I needed to see. And that's what set into motion that whole idea of making the 20-minute songs and the formation of what I call honest wave music, which is the music that I make. That's, that's what I do. Okay, so the next song is Ancient Whispers. And Ancient Whispers uh, is an interesting track. I wrote it a long time ago. Uh, I wrote it back in, hmm, let's say, probably 2004. And I did this version of it, this original version of it, which I'll play for you right now. Okay, so, and that was Ancient Whispers. That was the first version of the song that I had done. And I didn't think that it was bad. It just was when I had first really started to learn uh, the rudiments of recording digitally. And I decided that it was probably a good idea for me to uh, to revisit it and to to go at it again, but with a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more skill. So I did that. I just sat down one day and said, now I will do Ancient Whispers. I'll redo it. And uh, I got all of the music down. Everything was pretty much the same as the original, just a better production of what it was. And right around that same time, you know, my wife and I frequent thrift stores Um, like I explained in the episode of the book business about my wife and I uh, Snowflake 33 episode the book business Um, my wife and I like to go to thrift stores I mean we just do we love to shop at thrift stores and um, I'm always like whenever I go to a thrift store I'm always looking for musical gear and I have found some treasures under those circumstances let me tell you (laughs) 
and shocked at what I was able to get for $30 at a thrift store. Uh, it's That's a separate story. Anyway, what had happened was I went to this thrift store with my wife. And I found this little guitar. It's a little piece of junk um, first act guitar for little kids. It's like a ukulele. I mean, it looks like a ukulele. And, um, you know, technically a, a piece of garbage, you know, a toy. But um, I picked this thing up and I don't know what happened. It was just kind of like I just could not put it down. Um, even though it's a toy, for some reason, I think I was kind of pissing people off at the at the thrift store because I was walking around playing it. I just couldn't stop playing this thing. I loved it. It just felt great in my hands. It felt good on my shoulder. It just was like I could just play this thing all day, you know? And, um, I mean, and I'm walking around with this guitar in my hand, you know? And I'm just thinking to myself, you know what? I could use this thing. I could, I could use it on uh, Ancient Whispers. I, I could do that because I can detune it. And it, it sounds so weird and so like clunky. To me, anyway, it sounded like so clunky and kind of ethnic and kind of just had that sound, you know. Just the, to me, it had that kind of shimmer, you know. And so what I did was, you know, I took it home for five bucks and... Uh, I started to, like, play around with the tuning on it, you know, trying to match it to the, the song and get in there with it, you know, make sure it's in key, it's in tune with the song. But um, it's just a, a, like I said, a cheap little guitar. Okay, you hear that? Okay. And then... But you just add a little bit of flanger to it, a little bit of reverb to it, and it sounds like this. A really simple kind of thing. Um, just fell in love with it, and I, you know, it sounded so good on Ancient Whispers, I wound up using it a lot. Five dollars, Salvation Army. Awesome. Uh, and also, too, I can say that uh, at the time I was redoing Ancient Whispers, there was a band that I had found. They're called LCN. They're from Montreal. And oh, they had this album, and it was just so awesome, you know. And on this album, they had a song called um, Assemblage Point is the name of the song and it's a instrumental it's a short little instrumental in this really artsy weird kind of album really atmospheric and just really good music you should check it out um but on this song assemblage point that was just this instrumental with this lute like uh electronic music almost this like uh, dark kind of soundscape with this lute guitar playing over it and that was like the inspiration for me hey you know grabbing this this little first act guitar i had and trying to mimic that lute sound that they had on that album i thought it was so cool and i was like i'm gonna try something like that that's that's what it is i'm very very happy with that one very happy with how that came out um and that's where i'll leave it for that it was an experiment that just went very well Okay, then there's Cavalcades, track number four. Okay, Cavalcades, that's good too. It's a simple one to talk about because um, I remember it very clearly. Um, at the time, uh, I had just purchased a CD version of this album called Gone to Earth by David Sylvian and Brian Eno. You know, originally given to me by the guitar player from Slow Bob. He was the guy who handed me a lot of that Brian Eno stuff and a lot of that uh, David Sylvian stuff and Harold Budd and and he really kind of changed me 
uh, quite a bit just by doing things like that. And I had this cassette tape for years. I think I had three different versions of it on cassette and I wore it out three times. And when I wore out the third copy, I finally broke down and went onto Amazon and I ordered the CD version of this album. And the music on that album was like medicine to me. Okay. Uh, I could, I could talk about it all day long, so I'll, I'll make it brief, but there was a time in my life when that music was the only piece that I could find. So, so that's all I'm going to say. I wore it out three times. Okay. Listen to it a lot. And it got me through some really, really hard times. And I loved it. So I finally got it on CD and it was like seeing an old friend again for the first time in years. Like, oh, I forgot how much I love this music and how great I, how great it is for me. So uh, I decided when I was going to do a new piece of music that I was going to go for a David Sylvian kind of thing. And not rip it off, but go into it and let the spirit of David Sylvian come into the room and influence this sound that I'm going to make. And that's what Cavalcades is. It was me sitting down and, and just letting, letting the gone to earth CD and David Sylvian and Brian, Eno let them come into my head and come out through my hands. And that's exactly what I did. And I loved that song. I liked it right away. I thought it was just really, really a nice piece of music. It didn't need vocals. It didn't need anything. It was good just as an instrumental. And it's not very long. It's a standard length. It's only uh, 3 minutes and 38 seconds long. But it's it's enough. And it's good. And um, the title, Cavalcades, okay, Cavalcades comes from a book, again, from when I was in grade school, when I was in second grade, I had a book called Cavalcades that they taught my English class out of. It was like a, a book that had poems and short stories and all these things in there. And that's what they taught the class, my English class from. And somehow I wound up with this book again at my house. And it was just I loved the name Cavalcades. I mean, I loved the book. I loved the poems in the book and the short stories. And I particularly liked the title. I just thought it was a cool word. And the meaning of it is cool. So when I applied it to this music where you can hear like the ocean waves and you can hear this kind of like, you know, this longing kind of guitar sound and just this whole atmosphere Uh, I had this image of waves crashing on the shore like cavalcades of waves crashing on the shore and I thought that was just such a cool image and I would finally get to use that word and just fit really well and that's cavalcades done bam that's it that's it okay So from Cavalcades, we go into Sister Wind. And Sister Wind... (laughs) Okay. Sister Wind was originally recorded as like a heavy metal song. And uh, I'll, I'll play a little bit of it for you right here. so that was Sister Wind and it was horrible as you can hear it was not a bad song it was long before I had any skill at recording guitars and uh, they were terrible so what I wound up doing was uh, I hated the guitars so much and just how bad the recording sounded that I omitted about one half of the tracks that I had recorded 
and I kept the other half that that I liked. And that's Sister Wind. That's the version that you hear when you press play. Like I, there were about eight tracks of guitars and uh, other instruments and things like that, and I just omitted it from the recording. And that's Sister Wind. That was recorded a little while ago. It was yeah, that was recorded about 2004 as well. So a lot of this material was recorded around the same time. It was okay. So, uh, yeah, that's Sister Wind. This cool title, too. Sister Wind. Two words mashed into each other. You know, playing with language. Love to do that. Love naming things. Like I've said before. Then we go from there to track number six, which was The Water of Fire or Singing to the Sea. Now, that song is interesting for two reasons. One, it has two titles. And... I'm aware of the fact that Coldplay released a song that had two titles, but I did it first. I did not copy Coldplay. Just saying. Not that I would mind copying Coldplay, because they're very good, but I didn't. I named my song with two titles first. I thought it was a cool idea that you could choose the title, whichever one you want. I had two different titles for the song that I liked, and I, you know, I had to choose one. And then, you know, in that process, I'm like, why do I need to choose one? Just name it both. Like, that's kind of cool to have like an option. The title of the song is optional. You can choose which one you want. Playing with language, you know, naming things. Um, okay, so what, what do I remember about the water of fire? Okay, I remember the drums. That's the very first thing that I remember is that I, what I did was I mic'd my drum set up really, really simply with just one microphone or two microphones. And I sat behind the drums and I played. And I just played a couple bars of different beats and different things that I liked. And then I went back after I was done with that and I just looped that beat. So there was there was no for you you techies out there there was no click track or anything like that the click track was the drums the recording of the drums that's what I used as my click track and um uh so I just took this beat that I played this part of this beat that I thought was fresh and I looped it and I was like getting really wild and crazy. Like I'm going to loop it for like eight minutes. I think that's what it was. Oh no, I'm sorry. Nine minutes. I went really crazy and looped it for nine minutes. Cause nine minutes is just, wow, that's so much, you know? And of course that's laughable now. Yeah. So I looped that beat and then it was just a matter of just, you know, putting, uh, putting instrumentation down over it. It was not like a, it wasn't rocket science or anything like that. It was just really a lot of fun, you know, just have just doing an experiment. And, you know, the song doesn't really change for nine minutes. It stays in the same zone, which was the idea. And that's the idea behind a lot of the PC3 music. It's repetitive on purpose. Uh, you know where it's going and there's no... Uh, anticipation of a change or anything it's it stays in a zone and the listener can stay in the zone and um i remember doing the vocals for it and i maybe you know i went back you know and and made some edits but really kind of again went to the microphone sang from the soul didn't go back and make those sounds into actual words and that's what's in the song that's it It was done probably in about two or three days, just from start to finish, just done. And uh, I could say around that time, which was probably 2004, 2005, 2006, like in that window of time, I did a lot of recording. When I look back on it now, I'm surprised because there's a lot of work that I did. I was just so excited about being able to record myself and not have to rely on a studio engineer and paying, you know, a hundred dollars an hour to get an idea down and was able to do it at will. And it was so fun, you know, 
especially when I started to learn a couple things. I mean, it was really a lot of fun. And uh, the Water of Fire came out of that period of time where I was really starting to hit my stride and, and, and really starting to know the equipment and how to achieve what I wanted sonically, you know, with microphones and things. I started to kind of get my arms around it a little, and I was having a lot of fun. And the Water of Fire came out of that. And um, I always, always loved that song. I just It was one of the tracks I've made that um, I knew that if I ever made a CD that it was going to be on it. I just knew it right when I was recording it. I mean, it felt so good you know, already, you know, uh, while I was recording it that I just, I knew that if I ever make a CD, this song is going to be on there. And um, so that's why it's on the first CD I made for PC3. Um, and the title, you know, The Water of Fire and like what I'm singing about in the song is really kind of hard to explain. Um, but um, I will elaborate more on it in the future, I think, in Snowflake 33 uh, episodes because it's an important turning point, but it comes uh, after Slow Bob. It's like it's at the tail end of Slow Bob where I had this uh, I had an experience that was metaphysical okay for lack of a better term I, I won't go into it all right now but the song is really kind of inspired by that moment it's kind of like my my testimony to what I experienced at this particular moment in this event in my life um, that I can't really explain. Um, it's kind of mysterious and everything, I guess, but uh, it really was a it was a turning point for me as a human being. And like I said, I'll, I'll elaborate on it later, but the song the water of fire or singing to the sea is about that experience and if you watch the video for it um what i'm doing in the video you know i'm using text in the video to try to tell you what happened so you might want to check that out if you like the song the water of fire or singing to the sea you might want to check out the video that i made for it because it'll probably give you an idea Especially now that you've heard me explain a little bit about it, um, like what I'm actually talking about and what the song is trying to convey. And I'll leave it at that. Okay, so then we go to the last track. The last track of the album is Dune Wander. And uh, again, two words mashed into each other, playing with language, Dune Wander, uh, referencing the beach and the ocean, which I love more than anything i mean I, I i come alive when i'm at the ocean it's just it, i know that's how it is for a lot of people but trust me for me it's a it's it's more than that okay it's more than that i'm definitely an ocean soul that i i am you know and uh so dune wander you know here's this image right away of this you know of walking the beach you know, with no one around and just the waves and the, that solitude and that awesome environment to think and to meditate in. I love it. Love it. I can't afford to live near the ocean, but man, if I could, you'd never see me again. I would disappear. I would be there forever and I'd never leave. Um, okay, so Dune Wander. Okay, I can say this too. Uh, when I sat down to do Dune Wander, I had already done Try, and I had already done the song 2020 Vision. So I had this clear path about doing these songs that were longer. And Dune Wander was the second one I consciously wrote as a long song. I said, this one's going to be 20 minutes. It's not going to be an experiment. I'm going to write lyrics, and I'm going to make chord changes and different parts and have it be a real song. And it's going to be 20 minutes long. And so I did. And that was Dune Wander. And at the time, uh, 
Okay, there's an album by a group called The Masters of Reality. And they have a song called Doraldina's Prophecies off this debut album they released. And it was track for track. It was a fabulous album. The Masters of Reality, self-titled album, produced by Rick Rubin. And it is just killer. Song for song. You start from the beginning, you go all the way to the end. It's just a great album. And very creepy and weird, too. It's like a dark southern blues rock borderline metal. It's like a weird it's a weird dark blues kind of album. Like Zeppelinish in some ways, but Southern Fried Rock. Southern Fried Zeppelin is probably what I would call it. Very, very interesting. And track number two on that album was a song called Doraldina's Prophecies. And it was this creepy, like, blues dirge. And I loved it. And I listened to it quite a bit. I listened to that album quite a bit. I still do. And um, I knew I was walking around the house kind of singing that song a lot. And I was, you know, it was time for me to come up with a new idea for a song. So I decided after, you know, because I was walking around singing this Masters of Reality song, that I was going to do a blues song. It was something I had never really done before. I'm not a big fan of the blues. I don't dislike it, but I just, I don't, I never bought anything that was the blues, you know? I'm not like a fan. But I, I like this album, and I like this song in particular, and, I, and so I used it as a jumping off point. Like, I'm going to try to do a blues song. So what you hear me, you know, when you hear Dune Wander, you're hearing me do my my debut in into the blues vein of music and uh what else can i say hmm. let's see dune wander one thing that's weird about dune wander I, i'm not exactly sure why this is the case but of all the songs that i've released and, and i have quite a few now okay uh this song in particular Gets, I get requests about this song. People want to know what the words are. And I don't really know why. Like, um, I get a lot of people asking me if they can have the lyrics for that song. <laughs> and I, I don't know why. Of all the songs I have, it's the only one that... Well, no, it's not the only one, but it, it's gotten a lot of uh, inquiries about the lyrics. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> and I don't really like to give out the lyrics to my songs. And as a general practice, I don't. I, I usually won't give the lyrics out to my songs. But for some reason, that song, you know, people just they want to know what I'm singing about. That's what I can mention about it. <laughs> it's, that's all I can mention about it. It's like, for some reason, it, it struck people's curiosity. Like they want to know what I'm talking about. Um... But, sorry, <laughs> sorry, uh, I prefer to adopt the practice that the singer, Seal, uses, which is, you know, he doesn't print the lyrics of his songs on his records because he wants the listeners to just hear it the way they hear it. They can get their own meaning from the song. And, uh, I don't know, I don't like to spoon feed the meaning to my audience I, I like them to kind of have to figure it out or try to get what I'm uh, implying um, what else can I say about Dune Wander oh the you know one thing that's cool about it when I hear it is uh, there's a guitar line that goes throughout the song and uh, it goes from the very beginning to the end and uh, what I like about that guitar line it's got like a wah pedal on it when you hear the song, you'll know what I mean. Uh, well, what's cool about it is when I recorded it, I pressed play and record at the beginning of the song, and I just played all the way through the song. I didn't, I didn't stop or anything. I, I just kept going through the whole song, and no particular direction or aim or anything. And the song ended, 
And I was really happy with what I did. I mean, it sounded okay. I, I mean, I had to go back and knock a couple of bad notes out and edit some bad stuff out because I made a couple of mistakes and stuff. But really, when you hear that song, you're hearing like one take from, from a 20-minute guitar line. And it wasn't like I had chords or ideas in mind or anything. I just played in the key and came up with this guitar idea, you know? And I thought that was pretty cool. And that's what you hear on the finished track, which I thought was kind of good. And um, a sign of growth as a guitar player, that I could do that um, and make something that I was happy with, you know? And um, now we've made it through the, the music on the record. I'm putting my booklet back in the jewel case, like a good Ludite should. And... Um, I'm holding the CD in my hand now, the actual disc, and on the disc I have the star chart, which I explained in the um, Ad Astra 2 description, I believe. So I won't have to describe that here. This is another one of those things I already covered. And when you take the disc out and you look in the CD tray, it's the, just a negative image of the star chart again. And, and uh, that's about it. It was really, you know, Ad Astra 1 was, uh, you know, it was kind of like my first one, but it's... Uh, it meant a lot to me to be able to be making a compact disc. It wasn't enough for me to just be uh, making downloadable music and streaming music and things like that. The digital format is great. I mean, don't get me wrong, and I have no problems with it. It's really kind of changed my life, but I'll always make CDs, and I just don't ever foresee a, a time when I won't be releasing some kind of collection on compact disc or vinyl you know my wife and I have talked about doing something on vinyl but we haven't yet but um, we'll see in the future um, so that's it that's my description of PC3's Ad Astra volume one um, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off and remember folks if you want to keep what you've got you've got to give it away take it easy